welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. First, I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice. And what works for one may not work for all. In our previous episode, we talked about autoimmunity and the three necessary components that lead to autoimmunity. Those being genetic predisposition, gut permeability, and environmental activation, as well as common prodromal stage symptoms for MS. I hope that by better understanding autoimmunity and reflecting on your own personal pathway to autoimmunity, that it yielded some clues as to how to illuminate your path forward to healing. We had a great discussion about this at our last flock meeting. Today, I'd like to share some of my recent reading on the topic of deep listening. As you likely know if you've been a listener for a while, deep listening is a part of my self-created professional development curriculum for 2022 in my efforts to live my yearly intention, to swim in the deep end of my soul, and to learn to listen most to the voice within. For today's gratitude, I'm simply grateful for the ability to breathe and for how wonderful, cool, fresh oxygen feels as it enters my nose, spreads around my body, and nourishes my body, mind, and soul. Breathing is both a voluntary and involuntary process. We can control our breathing through our motor cortex, and our breathing can be controlled automatically from our brainstem. Many experts believe, with no shortage of studies to back up their belief, that conscious breathing helps us access parts of our minds that we are otherwise unaware of. While it will be no surprise to hear that I've been breathing my entire life, and so have you, it has only been in the last few years that I've really delved into the art and science of breathing. Historically, a naturally shallow breather, the more I researched, the more I started to understand the why behind my shallow breathing tendencies, and we'll touch on that in today's episode. I also began to learn how to use breathing as a tool for healing and for maintaining wellness and a sense of calm. In an upcoming episode, for example, we'll learn some simple breathing techniques to both treat and prevent anxiety. So today, thank you for the ability to breathe and the ability to choose how I breathe moving forward. As I mentioned, this year I've been researching deep listening as a healing tool. So far, I've been mostly researching ways to access my inner soul and to learn to better trust my intuition. 
While I will always maintain the belief that there is incredible value in brainstorming in groups, I've started to move towards ensuring I make important decisions in private, rather than permitting other people's ideas or desires to sway my priorities and decisions, as I have in the past. One of the many helpful tools I have accessed so far this year on my deep listening quest is a book actually called Deep Listening, a healing practice to calm your body, clear your mind, and open your heart. Today, I'd like to share some of my newer learnings from this book and a few other related sources, and hopefully shine a light on some healing pathways for you as well, if you might likewise be seeking ways to achieve a sense of calm and peace within your body, mind, and heart. So, if you're a ruminator, a glass-half-full sort of person, a worrier, excessively driven to the point where you cannot relax, feeling overwhelmed, experiencing tension or spasticity in your body, or just unable to get motivated, keep listening. I'm certain you'll find some helpful tips to help you navigate your way to a better place. Deep listening, a healing practice to calm your body, clear your mind, and open your heart, is written by Jillian Pransky, who is a renowned yoga practitioner with heavy skill sets in meditation, mindfulness, deep relaxation, and compassionate listening. And it's important to note that this book is based on the author's signature program called Calm Body, Clear Mind, Open Heart that she has taught around the world. If this sort of practice is new to you, this book is a great one-stop shop as it does a beautiful job of incorporating many skills into one cohesive program. Through her techniques, we learn healthy ways to pay attention to our body, heart, and mind and how to tune inward to achieve a therapeutic state of clarity, ease, and openness. She believes that it is through our ability to learn to be open and vulnerable That's actually how we can find our way to wellness. The author uses a variety of tools interwoven in meaningful ways. For example, she includes guided meditations, restorative yoga poses, helpful mantras, and reflective journaling prompts. And these work together synergistically to help us heal. Important also to note, Pransky has personal experience with serious health issues and devastating losses. All she has created to share with the world is from her own personal journey. This might not be important to everyone, but I have found that people who have experienced personal hardships and found a way through them are able to provide the advice that has been the most helpful to me on my own healing journey. Deep listening is an approach to healing. It's how we interact with and respond to ourselves and others. The author starts off with a short list of discoveries that she's learned from teaching her course around the world, and I'd like to share it here. As I do, be thinking which statements pertain to you. If many of them resonate, this might be a book worth reading for you. I've certainly found it helpful. Here are her discoveries, and I quote, Most of us are used to living life as a series of reactions to what's going on around us. Most of us feel stressed or overwhelmed much of the time. Most of us live with tension in our body that is wreaking havoc on our health. 
Most of us suffer from anxiety and don't know why it arises. Most of us carry around powerful emotional narratives, the stories we tell ourselves about our undigested pain, and we're not sure how to heal those hurts from the past. Most of us don't understand how to change the habits that keep us stuck. And most of us don't know how to be gentle, kind, and compassionate with ourselves, which are the conditions that allow us to evolve. Did any of those sound like you? As people living with MS, we know that stress is the root cause of many of our struggles. It's often stress that triggers an MS attack, for instance, or brings about a resurgence of past symptoms we thought we had previously recovered from. The more I read about stress, the more I understand that it's important to accept that stress is just a natural part of life, and we can't do much about the stressful things we encounter in life. What we can do about it, however, is learn to respond to stress differently. And that is what deep listening is actually all about. When we respond to stress differently, we are better able to keep our central nervous system in balance, can increase our immune functionality safely, and we can enhance our body's ability to optimally digest foods and help our body repair damage it has incurred over the years. Clearly, it's a very powerful practice. In deep listening, Pransky embeds powerful related yoga poses for each area of inquiry. For example, in one of my favorite chapters, chapter four, how we hold, which is all about tension and the ways we hold tension in our bodies. She explains in writing and images, correlating yoga moves that support this learning to help us release tension, in this case, the tree pose and the legs up on a chair exercise, which she explains in detail with clarity, which I found helpful as a relative yoga beginner who has done a fair share of dabbling but has not yet caught the yoga addiction bug. She also incorporates reflective journaling, Again, in chapter four, as an example, there is a journaling dialogue with an area of our body where we hold tension. In addition, Pransky shares meaningful meditations related to holding tension. In this case, her pause and reset activity, label and let it be. By including yoga, meditation, journaling, mantras, and breathing seamlessly into one cohesive program, we're able to see how all these powerful skills can work in tandem to create conditions of wellness. From here, I'll share some of my personal highlights and biggest takeaways from deep listening and related research and hope that they will be relevant for you on your healing journey too. There's nine of them. Here we go. Number one, a little plus often equals a lot. In my work with Dr. Susan over the years to slowly yet steadily adopt healthier lifestyle habits to support my MS health, it has been a process, incremental in nature. But as I've stopped to pause at many milestones along the way and looked back, I could see the progress as just one little thing at a time. In Deep Listening, the author expresses this concept in a way I love, as a mathematical equation that goes like this. A little plus often equals a lot. 
This simple equation or recipe for success has helped me on a lot of days when I'm lacking motivation or energy to get something done. Even at my worst, I can do five minutes of something. And miraculously, after five minutes, I can often do more. In a similar way, if I make a small, healthy dietary choice and do it often, that also adds up to a lot. And honestly, as I look back over my journey the last six years, since I dedicated myself towards healing, this is a really cool way to sum it up. A little plus often equals a lot. This one made it onto my Helpful Quotes bulletin board, so I will see it and be guided by it every day moving forward. Takeaway number two, being vulnerable illuminates the path to wellness. It's not uncommon for families to avoid talking about the hard stuff. In Deep Listening, the author shares about her early family life, including her father's illnesses and the later loss of a dear friend. In her reflection, she shared how her family never spoke about the hardships they faced, or how the illnesses were impacting each member of the family. She learned to push through life without processing and releasing, and in doing so, held on to a lot of pain and anxiety, and began to put up protective walls, or armor, so to speak, and to view the world through a lens of fear. As a side note, I'm working on an episode about the fear-pain cycle, and the research is quite convincing. What the author also noted, similar to books The Body Keeps the Score and Feelings Buried Alive Never Die, is that these emotions we didn't learn to deal with at the time in a healthy way will, without a doubt, rear their ugly heads at some point, typically triggered by stress and often appearing as anxiety or panic attacks. Pransky writes, quote, The way we hold ourselves and the armor we engage keeps us separate, hard, and unable to release into the support available to us. To learn how to process and release through vulnerability is the key to finding our way to wellness. And how do we do that? Well, we'll get into more solutions in a moment, but before then, I want to dig a little deeper into what the author shares about vulnerability and why I similarly believe it's such a necessary component of the healing process. Pransky shares that as we experience hardships in life, we tend to build up a protective armor or scales, like dragon scales, to keep us safe. But it's these very same tools that we try to utilize to keep us feeling safe that end up causing us harm because it catches or stores the hurt, pain, or fear inside us. In deep listening, we learn a simple mantra to help us. May we be happy and at ease. May we be safe and well. May we feel loving and loved. And when we practice this meditation with repetition, it creates perforations in our barriers. This lets light in and affects how we feel toward ourselves, which in turn affects how we feel about others. Even if we've been hanging on tightly to our armor and protective scales for a long time, Sharon Salzberg's words help us understand that the length of time we've been hiding in the dark doesn't really matter. She says, quote, It doesn't matter how long we've been stuck in a sense of our own limitations. 
If we go into a darkened room and turn on the light, it doesn't matter if the room has been dark for a day, a week, or 10,000 years. We turn on the light and it is illuminated. Once we are able to control our capacity for love and happiness, the light has been turned on. When we choose compassion, we exercise our empathy muscle, further honing our ability to see our similarities rather than focusing only on our differences. So vulnerability is the path to wellness, openness, loosening up, forgiveness, peace, and calm. This book really drove home this learning that I did last year, and it was this learning that was a huge part of why I developed some of the specific vulnerability and community building programming for the True Medicine MS program, like the Me and My Why exercise, to help people reflect and deeply examine aspects of their identity and their current comfort with vulnerability. And it's also why we're now several months into a Writing to Heal program pilot. So let's continue to look at takeaways, specifically next up, ways to help us open up and become more vulnerable. Takeaway number three, spend more time being than doing. The author defines well-being as the ability to live in a state of contentment, and it's the ability to stay grounded, relaxed, and open to whatever our circumstances or whatever we encounter in our lives. As longtime listeners know from several different episodes, there's a strong belief that MS is related to feelings of not being good enough. So it's only natural that many of us become quite driven in our pursuit of wanting to feel more valuable. Since we are often rewarded for good work, we then feel valuable at work and then push ourselves to work even harder. But if this is like you, and it certainly was me, I've now learned that the first step to being content is to become content with the life we have now. In our culture of busy, we are highly encouraged by our critical inner voices, our families, through the media and society at large to be better, do more, get more, or make more. In order to be happy, you just need to do this, get this, or be this. Yet what most experts in mindfulness and meditation practices know is that the pathway to peace is not by doing more. It's actually by doing less and being more present in the moment. The author shares a lot about the importance of pause. Victor E. Frankel said, quote, Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. I encourage you to check out episode 29, The Power of Pause as an Alignment Tool to Conquer Overwhelm and Live Our Best Lives, where we took a deep dive into the power of pause. When we pause and thoroughly drink in the present moment, breathe deeply, notice what is around us, and look within to check in with ourselves, it's then that we are being rather than doing. And in these moments, we learn what matters most to us, as well as the unhealthy root causes behind why we have pushed ourselves so hard and so far beyond what is healthy. The more we pause and maintain a state of being in the present moment, 
the less we'll be worrying about the past or the future. When we are less frenzied and push pause, we can choose to respond to hardships in healthier ways instead of reacting rashly and regretting it later. Number four, elevator relaxation breathing. I found this particular breathing technique really helpful. But first, have you ever noticed that when you're stressed, it's harder to breathe? And when it's harder to breathe, the more anxious we get, which alerts our fear center in our brain, making our body become even more tight and rigid, in turn making deep breathing even more difficult? When we're in this doom and gloom cycle, it's neurologically impossible for us to feel safe. So learning how to deeply relax through breathing techniques is a really important skill for us. In a similar way, have you ever found that even when you're lying down, you're actually still holding yourself up? This creates a lot of tension in our bodies. I didn't realize just how much I was doing this until I tried the elevator relaxation breathing technique through the author's tutelage. If you're somewhere safe where you can do this right now, give it a try. If not, make note of it and try it later today or tonight when you go to bed. Here goes. As we take a series of three deep breaths with slow inhales and exhales, we're going to imagine being on an elevator that lowers one floor with each exhale. If you're sitting up, you can start with slowly feeling your weight sink down from the top of your head to your shoulders with the first exhale, then to your belly and down into your backside with the second exhale, then into your legs and down to the bottom of your feet with the third exhale. If you're laying down, progressively feel your body weight push harder and harder down on the bed with each exhale. After the third exhale, imagine the elevator door opening to a loved one eager to greet you. Feel their warmth. Give them a warm smile. This exercise taught me just how much tension I can hold in my muscles without even realizing it and how that significantly worsens my spasticity. Over the past month, I've gratefully been able to reduce my baclofen dosage as I've become more adept with elevator breathing as a tool to reduce muscle tension. Give it a try next time you're feeling tense. And better yet, commit to elevator breathing three times a day to keep your central nervous system in a place of contented relaxation so that whatever comes your way will be easier to handle and won't cause a major disruption. Practicing elevator breathing before we get out of bed in the morning, during lunch, and when we get back in bed at night is a great way to start making elevator breathing a regular habit and to practice being in the moment. Jillian Pransky says it best when she writes, the breath is our metronome of now. Takeaway number five, stress can be a major pain in the butt and cause us to become unhinged. Understanding the psoas and piriformis muscles. Learning about the piriformis muscle a few years ago in physical therapy was life changing. As someone who had played on sports teams all my life and worked with many knowledgeable and skilled coaches and trainers over the years, how had I never really heard about the piriformis muscle? 
My physical ability has improved significantly since I started stretching my piriformis muscles daily, and I haven't experienced the lower back pain I previously used to experience at least quarterly since. Recently, I learned about another important muscle, and it, in fact, works in tandem with the piriformis. The psoas and piriformis muscles work together to connect our legs to our spine. A third muscle in the area, our gluteus maximus, also helps, but it's the psoas in the front and the piriformis in the back that work together to keep our spine in alignment above our pelvis and keep our posture aligned. What I've learned recently about these muscles is that I haven't found any other muscles that are more critical to our long-term physical MS health than these. If you experience back pain, hip pain, knee pain, spasticity, or inflexibility, ask your physical therapist or yoga instructor to introduce you to some simple stretches to work these two muscle groups. You can also find helpful video tutorials on YouTube, but it's a good idea to try them the first time with someone who can ensure you're doing them correctly and safely, and who can show you adaptive ways to stretch these muscles that will be the best fit for you. What's most interesting about the psoas muscle is that when we are stressed, it's one of the very first to tighten. And when the psoas muscle tightens, we immediately feel it, perpetuating the idea that we're not okay. And again, this is how we fall into the pain-fear cycle, which as many of us know, is really difficult to exit. Pransky says, quote, we all harden ourselves every single day. We may not know as it's happening, but we will undoubtedly experience its effects. Tension is the stress response finding a home in our body. And of course, the Chinese proverb applies here and is worth reflection. Tension is who you think you should be. Relaxation is who you are. Whew. That's another one going on my wall as an important reminder. Takeaway number six, acknowledging mental inflexibility with age. Understanding how we naturally change as we age as humans is important. As a former educator, I know that young children without a doubt are better able to embrace unanticipated change than adults. As we get older, and I'll also add as we are conditioned by society, we tend to become more routinized and structured. We find comfort in patterns of security. Predictability helps us feel safe and productive. And yet, try as we may, we cannot ignore the fact that life itself is completely unpredictable. It's important that we each learn how to deal with the unpredictable nature of life. For no matter how hard we plan or how hard we try, there will always be circumstances completely out of our control. Many of us try really hard to keep things the same as a semblance of maintaining safety. Taking time to pause and notice the natural world around us and how it's always changing can help us learn to embrace change as a natural and beautiful part of life. Another great recent read on this topic is How to Age Without Getting Old by Joyce Meyer. 
She teaches us how to gracefully adapt to change over time, the different seasons of our lives, and how to honor our own personal changes over time in our lived experience. This book helped me come to peace with some of my current physical limitations and helped me be grateful that over the course of my life, as I have lost some abilities, I've been able to pivot toward finding something new fulfilling. If you find yourself dwelling on what you've lost or can no longer do, check out How to Age Without Getting Old by Joyce Meyer. It's a practical and uplifting read. Takeaway number seven. Our thoughts are just thoughts until we make them more. This was to me one of the most important takeaways from deep listening. Pransky refers to our brains as thought factories. And in fact, did you know that each of us has more than 50,000 thoughts per day? It's nonstop. When we pay attention to these thoughts, we tend to engage with them in further conversation. And that's how they grow into something more than just a thought. Some thoughts are relatively harmless when we engage with them. What shall I wear today? Would I like coffee or tea? But other thoughts, like I'm not doing enough or I don't feel well, when we take them and start adding to them, can become detrimental very quickly because we begin to give this random thought more weight or clout than it actually deserves. A thought is defined as an idea or opinion produced by thinking or occurring suddenly in the mind. It is what we do with our thoughts that give them the most meaning. Also interesting to know is that about 90% of our daily thoughts tend to be repeats, meaning that we spend the vast majority of our time thinking about things we've already been thinking about. And even more important to know, Research shows that around 80% of our repeated daily thoughts are negative. So if we aren't practicing regular thought hygiene, our thoughts can lead us to very dark places very quickly if we allow that to happen and don't stop the thought when it's just that, a thought. We give weight to our thoughts. Without our engagement, they are just thoughts. Neuroscientist Jill Taylor discovered that our thoughts have a natural lifespan of about 90 seconds. As long as we don't engage with our thoughts, they'll soon be gone, replaced by another. Understanding that we get to decide which thoughts we further engage with and which we let float away in 90 seconds is an important job. And now that I understand the science behind my thoughts and the fact that I can better control my negative thoughts and choose to further engage only with the thoughts that are productive, I feel more and more content in life. When we engage with our thoughts, whether positive or negative, we further cement them into our thought patterns. Whether we intend to or not, we are inviting them to stay. Now, if you're like me, it's tough to learn to stop engaging with our thoughts and building on them, especially if we've been doing it all our lives. Jill Taylor's 90-second rule has helped me a ton with this, because when you think about it, 90 seconds really isn't that long. When a thought arises now that isn't positive, I get up and walk around to do something quick. 
refill my water, use the restroom, walk outside, or I start singing a verse of a favorite song, or I engage in a quick round of elevator or other sort of breath work to bring me back to the now. If I finish what I'm doing and the thought is still there, I can then make a decision to engage or deflect again, or have a go-to healthy thought, like what am I going to make for dinner? Or what is something I can do for my partner today to make his life a little brighter? Earlier this week, I had a challenging setting where I had the opportunity to practice this skill. I started having very negative, panic-inducing thoughts while in the MRI tube. In full disclosure, the MRI tube is one of my very least favorite places to be, and it has only gotten worse for me over time. I decided to test this 90-second thought theory in the tube when I first started to notice I was shortening my breathing and starting to feel a sense of panic. By redirecting my thoughts and focusing on my breathing instead, I was able to count to 90 and get myself in a much better place than I was when I started. I've only been engaging this way for a few weeks now, but I already have noticed fewer initial negative thoughts being generated by my thought factory brain. And while it unfortunately didn't really make my MRI experience easy, it did help me pass the time in the tube and maintain my focus on deep breathing rather than giving into a toxic thought pattern and allowing it to take over. Give it a try. See how thought hygiene works for you. Takeaway number eight, making space in our minds. Many of us unintentionally hold on to old thought patterns and old traumas and stresses rather than letting them go or asking them to leave. Pima Chodron says, nothing ever goes away until it teaches us what we need to know. And this is why learning to be vulnerable, to look deeply inside ourselves, our hearts, body, mind, and soul, to see what is there and ready to be excavated and expelled, what no longer fits and then letting it out and even sharing it with others, takes away the dark clouds these old thoughts contain and the power we feel they have over us and to make us feel unwell. We are all a walking summary of what we've experienced in our lives. There's nothing we can do to change what we've already experienced. So rather than thinking about letting things go, which is difficult for some of us, myself included, we can think about letting things be. Sure, they're still a part of us, but they no longer hold the power over us they once did when we intentionally dilute the power of these thoughts. We then have space for more positive and relevant thoughts that lead us to more positive outcomes. Takeaway number nine, learning to listen and respond to our somatic messaging system. The way we choose to listen to our internal messaging system impacts how we end up feeling. For example, if we feel a sensation, we can choose to notice it without judgment and care for it by sending it a focused breath of fresh air and compassion. Or we can choose to let it concern us, fixate on it, and feel like we need to protect ourselves from the sensation before it gets worse. The response we choose will either soften us up 
or result in more tension in our bodies. Compassionate listening to our bodies leaves us feeling seen, heard, loved, and cared for. The same is true if we employ compassionate listening with others. We don't need to fix anyone else's problems. Just listening with loving kindness is enough for someone to feel the support they are craving. How awesome is it to know that we can do this not only for others, but also for ourselves? Mark Nepo says, quote, To listen is to lean in softly with a willingness to be changed by what we hear. I hope that after listening to this episode, we all, one, remember that a little plus often equals a lot. Every little positive change we make in our lives adds up and can help propel us along the road to wellness. Two, that we each spend some time reflecting on our own current comfort levels of vulnerability, that we examine our protective walls and scales that we employ to keep us safe and that we learn how to loosen the tension that keeps us from a place of forgiveness of self and others, and from experiencing a true sense of calm and peace. And three, that if meditation, yoga, breathing, mantras, and mindfulness interest you, that you might consider developing a deep listening healing protocol of your own. Our next Misunderstood Flock meeting will be Saturday, May 7th. At the Flock meeting, we'll discuss this episode and other episodes released this month and spend some time together celebrating recent wins and supporting one another with current hardships. If you're not yet a Flock member but would like to be, please join us. We are all people living with MS that meet via Zoom the first Saturday of each month to support each other and continue our learning on the episode topics. Even though there are a lot of flock members, typically less than 10 people regularly attend each month. So we're a nice, small, unintimidating group that welcomes new members eagerly and with much warmth. You can learn more and join us by visiting patreon.com msflock. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with MS-related questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together and supporting one another and honking our encouragement. As always, thank you for listening, and until next time, be well.